this disconnect that I was observing through my work at the Museum of Sex, that MILF is actually one of the most searched porn categories. So people are, are massively fetishizing this MILF idea. But why does that not feel like reality in, in a lot of mothers' lived experience? And so, you know, trying to understand, we, we have these really odd constructions and also taboos about what a, a mother should be and how a mother should be experiencing pleasure and what their sexuality should look like. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we save a seat for you. It's Brandy Wytrack, host of Mom After Hours, and I want to be the first one to say happy freaking Mother's Day. This weekend is Mother's Day. I hope you have those shopping lists out for your freaking hubby and children to see or those Amazon wish lists. I hope you get a shit ton of money. I hope you get lots of flowers and candy and food, massages, Every fucking thing that you want because you absolutely deserve it. In addition to Mother's Day, we got a whole lot to talk about. We are talking about sexuality and motherhood with Sarah Forbes today. And if y'all don't know who Sarah Forbes is, you're about to find out. She's fucking amazing. A woman's relationship with sex becomes complicated once she's a mother. When naked and oiled up on the cover of Paper Magazine, our fellow mother-in-arms, Kim Kardashian, was attacked and told to, quote, cut it out and act like a mother. Not long after, a mom I know personally posted a cleavage-bearing photo on Facebook, and the same exact statement came up. Act like a mother. So what the fuck does that mean? As mothers, are we expected to ditch our sexuality and exude ourselves as matronly, proper, and dare I say, unsexy? We are going to answer that question and more with Sexpert Supreme, Sarah Forbes. She is the former sex curator for the Museum of Sex in New York. She's the author of the upcoming book, Mama Sex. And mamas, we are digging into the taboos of being a sexual mother, the conflict between our parental and sexual selves. We talk about her experience working at New York's most provocative museum. She's got stories, y'all. And the fact that MILF is the most searched term on pornography sites. What? I had no freaking idea. I was blown away by quite a few things on this episode, and I know you will too. So shall we dig in? Yes, we shall. How does a young woman who grew up, quote, between the mountains of Arizona and the heart of New York City, evolve into a sexual culturalist? You know, so basically my, my training is in anthropology with a focus on gender. 
And, you know, when I was, you know, this graduate student and I had this vision of what I was going to be, I wanted to be a professor who taught anthropology 101, the person who kind of opened up your your mind to a larger world and how everybody lives differently, acts differently across the world, that we have this beautiful diversity that exists. And then I stumbled into this work at the Museum of Sex and I was a curator, but I was also this anthropologist and I needed to basically create a new phrase that encompassed all of what I was doing. So, you know, sexual culturalist is a kind of a phrase I had to give myself because I was really in a domain with, you know, that was kind of an uncharted territory. It's so cool how you stumbled into it. So how, like, how did you get that job? So my journey to the Museum of Sex is really... I guess it's one of those things that you you never know what's going to happen. It's not something that I set out for. Um, I was 22 years old. I had just graduated from um, my undergraduate and I was um, starting my grad school uh, in New York City. And by chance, my first, you know, big girl apartment in New York City happened to be around the corner from the Museum of Sex. So here I am, 22, signing the lease for my first apartment. And my boyfriend at the time was kind of wandering around the neighborhood and discovered the Museum of Sex, which had just opened about maybe a year and a half beforehand. So here, when you're 22 and you, you maybe you don't know the protocol of how this whole professional world works, I just dropped my resume off. And it turned out that a um, another anthropologist was leaving to do their field work. And so there had been no job posting. There had been no kind of, it was this almost beautifully faded, seamless transition. And I became, first I was a researcher. So I was a, a researcher while I was in graduate school. And then I became assistant curator. And then when I was finishing up my master's, uh, this wonderful opportunity to become the, the full-time curator presented itself. Um, and you know, it was a it was a path that I never could have predicted, but it, it was an incredible adventure. And I was at the museum uh, for 12 years. Wow, that is super cool. So for those who are not big museum goers or who aren't like familiar with the lingo, like I know what curator means, but can you explain kind of like what the role of curator was and what the Museum of Sex, like what kind of things they have there, what kind of exhibits they have? Um, absolutely. So, you know, I think... The word curator is a word that is being used all the time right now. It has become such a, you know, kind of popular word that we curate our Insta feeds, we curate our music selections, we curate, you know, how we're looking, how we're dressing, how we design our houses. And so it's kind of lost some of the the museum meaning, you know, so I think we use it almost like I chose this or I picked this. But it, within the museum world, it's I chose these things, but I chose these things with a background of knowledge and expertise in a particular subject matter. So my subject matter just happened to end up being cultivated around sex, sexuality um, and gender identity. And so everything that I chose and as, as that curator was um, coming up with the ideas for exhibitions, doing all of the research, finding other expert voices to highlight, finding all of the artifacts. So all of the things that we would, you know, show within the exhibitions, working with designers. How is this going to look? How are people going to interact with this 
physical space, the design, the graphic design, how is it going to be protected? What kind of cases is going to be? And so it's so many, so many levels of detail and so many different people, you know, you're kind of interacting with and, you know, all of that at a museum that a lot of people don't know what they're going to encounter when they go to a museum of sex. And I think that combination of words, museum and sex feel really, really, really different. <laughs> yeah, um, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Okay, we think of museums as these kind of very academic, very buttoned up places. And it's, you know, and then we think of sex as this completely different thing. So when you combine them, it, there are a lot of huge question marks. And I think in those very early years of the museum, people were very unsure, what is this going to be? I mean, people would ask, do I wear clothes at the museum? Can <laughs> I have sex with people at the museum? Can I, we'd have to explain, no, it's it's like any other museum that you go to. It just happens to be that the subject is sex and sexuality. So it'll have the sculptures, it'll have like perhaps sex toys, art of naked people or something like that. But you don't have like any live exhibits where there's like a bed and somebody's having sex on it or something and people are standing around like analyzing it. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess mean, you kind of could if you wanted to. Like, but- I mean, I don't think there's any like barrier to doing that. But I think the goal was to really to to display and discuss the subject of sexuality um, you know, I'd say from like a social, cultural, historical perspective, but, you know, to not have censorship. So, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be hiding the, the penises and the vaginas. You want to see what, you know, what the subject matter is in, in ways that make sense to tell the story of the exhibition. Yeah, no, that's, that's smart. How did you find these people? Like I, if, how, like, was it something where you're like doing Google searches or were people coming to you to offer up their art and show you the things that they're working on? Or like, how do you find something that's intriguing and interesting that's focused on sex? No, it was such a really great balance of those two different categories. We'd have artists and collectors coming to us and saying, look, I've been making art on this subject matter. I've been making art on my my identity, or maybe something I've, I've had a fetish for, or some, you know, fantasy space. And I've been drawing these pictures for, you know, 20 years about this, this topic. We'd also um, have, you know, when we would come up with an idea for an exhibition, then, you know, I would kind of deep dive finding all of the different voices that were a part of that subject matter. So maybe it would be academics, maybe it would be scientists, maybe it would be practitioners of a particular sexual activity. Um, And so I've become very adept at digging deep through the internet's universe to kind of find these, these hidden gems of our, of our kind of our social experiences. I find that very intriguing. That's so cool. That's extremely cool. So your experiences there led you to write a memoir called Sex in the Museum, My Unlikely Career at New York's Most Provocative Museum. And you say that this is where readers travel from suburban garages where men and women build sex machines to factories that make sex toys to labyrinth archives of erotica collectors. So while you were doing your research and as well as, you know, as you were curating at the Museum of Sex, navigating that veiled underworld of sex did you ever encounter a situation where you were caught off guard you know 
it was definitely the kind of job where every day I learned something and was surprised by something. You know, I mean, it was, you know, very atypical kind of work. Um, you know, I could be in conversations with people where they're, they're, you know, let's say a collector or an artist, and they are, they're sharing their most intimate experiences, their most intimate encounters, um, very detailed about their, you know, their sexuality um, or their sexual practices. But as seemingly atypical as that would be, it was almost the experiences I would have not at work that had me feeling the most caught off guard. Because when you work with topics like sex and sexuality, what I really encountered was how it made other people think of me, what they, what their perceptions were of me. So here I was, you know, I started at the museum when I was 22 years old. I was there all throughout my 20s, you know, early 30s, you know, being a single woman in New York. And in New York, the first question people ask you at a bar is, what do you do? And so here I have to answer to, you know, random stranger, you know, I'm the curator of the Museum of Sex. And a lot of people would take this as an opportunity to share with me their porn watching habits, their, <laughs> what they were into, or assuming that maybe is that code word for, you know, a sex worker of various descriptions. So yeah, it was, it was almost in my professional space, you know, I could keep those, those boundaries and we could have a conversation, even though it was incredibly intimate conversations, um, because I could keep that professional you know, kind of protective field around myself. But when it then went to the outside world, that would be my most shocking moments. Oh, I bet. It's funny because they'll think they probably, I mean, you have to be pretty open-minded if you're working at a museum of sex and you can't be bashful about those things. I mean, if you're talking with people about sexual topics and maybe some of their most intimate inner desires that maybe they never shared with anybody else and like you've got to, have that confidence and like, no, like, okay, this is their work. And, but I think it's, I bet it's, I would have loved to just see the people's faces when you're at a bar and you, and you tell them that like, they're like, Oh, okay. So what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean I can ask her to join in on a threesome? Does that mean she does this or that? And I think the, a lot of people make assumptions until you, yeah, you have to like really dig in deep and explain like, so this is what I do. And these are the kind of things, the exhibits I put together. And I just think it's all very, very freaking cool. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's very cool. It was what, you know, it's a wonderful experience, but it also taught me a lot about how, how we as a society relate to this subject matter. It is, you know, even, you know, where there's so little lack of education on this, this, you know, what is sex? Um, how do we define sexuality? What kind of things are people actually doing and thinking behind closed doors? Um, what's the history of sex? We're always kind of think that we're the, the most hardcore generation that's ever existed. But then you look back through the historical record and you say, actually, maybe we're not. Maybe, you know, the people have always been making sex toys. They've always been representing sex and sexuality. So, you know, it's, um, there's so many different kind of interceptions of, of ideas that you have to deal with, with this very charged subject matter. Yes, I totally believe that and get it. I actually saw a photo on your Instagram page. I think it was your, um, the sex curator Instagram page in there where there was a piece of art and I don't know how old that art was, but it was like a woman 
And then there was the man, there was a man on each side of her and there was a man down below. I believe it was a man or maybe it was a woman down below. I can't believe it. I'm like, oh my gosh, when was this art painted? And I had never seen any art like that. And I'm like, holy crap. Or maybe it was it actually like historical art or was that something that was current, like a current painting made to look older? You know, I'm, I'm not sure which image it is, but I would say that it's, um, you know, there's this whole theory that as soon as there's a new technology, it's used for sex. So basically, as soon as we developed, you know, photographic technologies, you could take a photo, people were photographing people engaging in sex, or the same thing with movies. So, you know, the first pornographic film is actually from the turn of the century. Um wow. So, yeah, I mean, people, you know, even in these, we think of like Victorian eras where, you know, everybody was really prim and proper. It was almost, you know, there was this other category of life where people were incredibly sexually adventurous and, 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 you know, experimenting with all these different um, toys, identities and recording of it. Wow. So, in 2011, you became a mom with sex as your profession. How did that affect your overall identity? You know, I was one of those those little girls who always wanted to become a mother. So I had always, it, it had always been a kind of the forefront of what I was, you know, that was kind of my grown up woman version of what I was going for. I wanted to have a career and I wanted to have motherhood kind of wrapped into each other. And I had originally, when I set off on this career path, I had wanted to study how children acquire their gender roles and childbirth cross-culturally. So the Museum of Sex was not exactly in my in, in my, my vision space. Um, so when I became a mother, I was trying to balance this pers- this profession where people have these certain ideas of what it is with what you know motherhood is and how we view mothers and they they feel very different for people but at the same time my work made this whole new group of you know mom friends that I was growing feel comfortable sharing with me how they were encountering this incredible change of life yeah I can (laughs) I mean just thinking back on my own personal experience how I viewed sex prior to becoming a mother to how I view sex now and the person that I used to be versus the person I am now is night and day. It's completely different. And I just, I don't know why we feel like we have to shelter our needs or like appear to be matronly when maybe that's not how we, that's not how we are because we feel like we have to, because we're a mom. I just find all that fascinating, but, you know, it's such a big switch that we go through and, you know, we're going through when we become mothers, we're going through this change on every single level. Our bodies have gone through this experience. Um, even if you didn't birth your, your child, you go through an identity shift. You have a freedom shift. There's a social perception shift. I mean, it's, you know, and that's this phrase matricence that, you know, unfortunately, not enough of us know, but it's basically the kind of the the mom version of adolescence that we go through this huge, you know, shift of, of every entity of self. Um, and we become a different person on the other end of that. And 
of course, our sexuality is going to have its own new version because of that huge change. So after a few years, I think it was, it said it was a few years after your second child that you officially began writing about quote, mama sex. What are you hoping to expose or accomplish with that book? You know, it was, it's probably after my, my second child was born that I, you know, on a personal level was starting to think, okay, I think our family is done. You know, I think we're going to stay a party of four and, you know, now sex isn't going to be about, you know, making more babies. What's going to be our game plan here? Our, you know, what, what kind of steps are we going to take to maybe not have more children? Um, how is this? We have to get to know each other as, you know, a different kind of relationship, taking this, you know, procreation out of it. And I was also seeing how a lot of friends and, you know, friends of friends, their their relationships were 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 becoming more distant because of this lack of connection to each other as individuals or having that intimacy and so i was really interested okay here i am embarking on kind of my next my next personal chapter but also my little anthropologist lens is okay i'm not the only one who's experiencing this what's going on here how do we have to think about this? Why is this such an uncharted territory? And so, you know, that's when I, I wrote a, a Huff Post piece in 2018. It was kind of something more than MILF. That was the first time I, I really started writing about, you know, this mama sex thing, because there's this, this disconnect that I was observing through my work at the Museum of Sex, that MILF is actually one of the most searched porn categories. So, People are are massively fetishizing this MILF idea, but why does that not feel like reality in, in a lot of mothers' lived experience? And so, you know, trying to understand, we, we have these really odd constructions and also taboos about what a, a mother should be and how a mother should be experiencing pleasure and what their sexuality should look like. Wow. Sorry. I'm like in my head right now. That was really interesting about the MILF thing. I think everybody knows what a MILF is, but just in case listeners don't, MILF is mother. I like to fuck. So I'm really, I'm, I'm, I like, I'm trying to like come up with reasons why in my head, why the porn for moms is so high. And I'm like, and I'm trying to think of like, is it these young guys that are searching for it? And they're thinking, and like, I want the mother because this is like typically an older woman, or maybe she's more experienced and she can take charge. Is it a matter of them being dominated and they feel like this person's like their guide? I don't know. Sorry, I get really psych <laughs> psychological yeah. about it, but I just think that's really interesting that that's the highest search for porn. But then we surely don't feel it as mothers, like feeling sexy or feeling sometimes like our husband views us in that way, or even that society or other people view us that way. Like, oh, like most of them, you know, you think you assume, oh, they want this pretty young thing who looks, you know, perfect all the time. And you wouldn't think that they want somebody that would be considered like a mom who in, in my eyes are 
you know, I'm thinking I'm more normal, more toned down, possibly not, you know, just more ordinary. It, I just, yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack why we are attracted to certain things. Why? So we did a whole exhibition was about, um, it was based on a research done by these computational neuroscientists um, in a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. And it's basically the whole premise is if you looked through all the search terms that, so when people, you know, think they're doing things behind closed doors, when they're able to, what are they actually looking for in porn? And so a majority of it was very specific kind of body parts like breasts, penis, you know, feet is a huge one. Um, and then different age categories. So the majority of porn definitely skews towards that younger female, um, kind of what we stereotype of kind of, of a porn figure, but the MILF idea, it's, I think it's, you know, it's not, it's not quite grandmother age that MILF is, but it's also the taboo and that taboo of having sex or doing something you're not supposed to be doing is, is a lot of that kind of erotic charge. Interesting. That's extremely interesting. (laughs) Um, So you posed the question on your mama sex website. Like when you kind of talk about just mama sex as a whole, you throw out the question, why is it in a culture that now fashionably talks about bondage, sex toys, and open relationships that we still have such a strong cultural taboo when it comes to talking about the procreative sex that makes us mothers and the subsequent sex that mothers have. And I'm really curious, what are some of those whys that you've discovered in your research and interviews? You know, I think it's, it's a discomfort coming from, you know, lots of different directions. You know, we have a, we have a society that's uncomfortable with the idea of a sexy mother because somehow that correlates to you not being a good mother. And I think that is like, what we've culturally made is like the worst thing that a mom could be. So if you are somehow doing something for yourself or you're doing something that is seen beyond that category, all of a sudden it's you're, you're bad. Um, You can see that with a lot of kind of with celebrities that they could be all about sex appeal, you know, to kind of, you know, celebrities like a Kim Kardashian or Beyonce. But as soon as they became mothers, it was like something switched for people that they could no longer do perform dress the same way that they did before. And the only thing that changed about them was their, their new title of motherhood. And it's not just society. It's in mothers and how they feel about themselves and feeling comfortable. We have so much pressure on, uh, on bodies with age and aging and, does our body look the way we, this, you know, socially constructed idea is supposed to be. And, and so there's so, there's so many different layers of how we, we kind of absorb this onto our own selves and how we feel about ourselves as sexual beings. I mean, I never felt more invisible as when I was, you know, pushing around a stroller, you know, feeling like I hadn't taken a shower with like a messy bun, you know, I didn't feel like a, a sexual entity. You know, so I think that there's, you know, there's the society part that's like how we as moms feel. And then, you know, there's, there's, it's just kind of all going back and forth to each other about 
does this make me, does this make me selfish by prioritizing my sexuality? I'm too tired to to prioritize my sexuality because I think the expectations, particularly of modern motherhood are so high. You know, we are just, we are meant to know everything and do everything and be, you know, a hundred percent perfect at everything. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there that I think that contributes to that tabooness. Yeah, no, definitely. And I feel like, you know, it's when we're still trying to navigate our own identity, you know, after we have children and it's it all. And that also includes the relationship that you have with your body. And I feel like while some women might have been more sexual beings before they had kids, once you have kids, to me, there's just so many factors that go into play with why sex might not be a priority anymore, or why you feel you don't feel sexy like you used to. It's like, you know, how our, our body changes and we might feel bad about some of those changes or maybe, you know, we're assuming that our partner feels this way about our body. And even though it's our opinion, we could be, pro- we could be projecting it on them or assuming that that's the way they're feeling about it. So then we don't want to engage in sex or we're afraid to be sexy because we're afraid somebody's going to make a comment. I think I mentioned on a episode, earlier podcast episode, I think last year where like I had a friend who was typically conservative, great mom, um, hard worker, working mom. And, and she never goes out ever. She never goes out with her friends. And like the one time that she goes out with her friends, she decides like she wants to feel sexy and she wants to kind of channel that pre-mom girl that she used to be. So she had posted this picture on Facebook and she had like, you know, a cleavage shirt. Her boobies were all like big and perked up in her little wonder bra or whatever. And she looked gorgeous as usual, but she had her boobs on display and everybody, there were so many people making comments on it. Like, Hey, you're a mom now, girl, you got to, you know, chill out or, Hey, you got to put those puppies away. Your husband's letting you leave the house looking like that. And like just a lot of people making comments because she was going out on the town with her boobs on display and making it seem like now that she's a mom, like she, that she shouldn't be doing that. Or I think she, one of her family members had said something like, Oh, I hope you're going to give the same leniency to Lacey when she does that or which was her baby at the time. And I was just like, what the hell people come on. I'm like, she's still a sexual woman just because she's a mom. She can't, be sexy anymore. She can't show her boobs if if she wants, if she can't wear tight pants and show off her butt. It's like, come on, people. So I, I just, it makes me wonder like why, who came up with that concept that if once you're a mom, you can't be sexy or you can't be this overly sexual creature. Like they make it seem like it's a bad thing. You know, it's stuff like that, that even even if it's not a mom, our society feels just really comfortable to comment on women's bodies and to 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 share their opinions about what's right and what's wrong and how this should be. And, you know, I think motherhood, it it adds that even extra layer of, you know, what we're what we thought we were trained to do as a society, like this is what this category of person is like, you know, it's very much, it's it's a very narrow 
conception of, of, of a person's identity and kind of the, the holistic quality of their identity. Um, and so, you know, that's something that, you know, we've talked about how kind of society will impact. We've talked about how kind of, you know, let's say a particular mother may feel about herself and kind of what she's experiencing, but it also comes from their partners, what you're saying. I remember kind of in those early days of, you know, really small kids and, you know, I had a, a friend come to me and she was saying that her, her husband, you know, really felt uncomfortable with her now, like didn't want to have sex with her. She was a mom now. He had put, he had put her into this box because he had, he had absorbed all of those kind of cultural taboos and ideas. And so it wasn't in the hot way. It was saying, no, 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 you over here. And, you know, that wasn't what she had wanted or signed up for. And obviously, you know, we kind of, sometimes we constructed that it's always the, the, in a heterosexual dynamic, it's the male who's, you know, pursuing and wanting sex and women are these complacent you know, always pushing it away. But, and that's not always true. And women are just as sexual. They have, you know, sexual needs. They, you know, they can feel pushed away as well. Um, and that happens in lots of dynamics. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think being a parent is a really exhausting exercise in, in a changing identity. And, you know, there'll be somebody uh, like an Esther Perel, who's a very well-known therapist who, you know, you need a little space to have an erotic charge between you and another person. And the kind of parenthood that we have is very, you know, we're all up on each other and there, we don't give our relationships that space. That's a good point. And you're right about how, you know, the husband can view the woman differently. And it's, I, I read these articles where it's always like the women or, or even the movies, like the women are pushing the men away, but sometimes, yeah, the man doesn't see the woman is in this erotic way as much when she becomes a mom. Sometimes he sees them as you're my child's mother, you know, you're the mother of my children. And yeah, that's, it's just challenge. It's a challenging spot to be in. Let's just say that this one thing that always kept on coming up in my, in my work is that I was encountering individuals that were having sexual desires um, or were engaging in sex beyond their, their partnership and really leading these secret lives. So I would have, you know, I was called into this famous dominatrix in New York had passed away and they were kind of dismantling her dungeon, which happened to be in what would have been a very typical New York city office building. And she had, you know, a lot of kind of executive type men who were kind of going there for services several times a day. Holy you know, shit. That's a lot. Their, their partners never having any idea that they were doing this. Or I had one collector who had been secretly had like a storage unit where he'd been collecting all kinds of pornography for like 20, 30 years. Um, he I guess felt that he had some potential medical concerns and was worried that he might pass away and his wife would discover this trove of erotic materials. And so he was working with us because he wanted to, he didn't want to throw it away. He didn't want to destroy it. He wanted the museum to kind of take it on um, and be a part of our collection. And so throughout all of these years, I was working there 
I was encountering the same narrative over and over again. Um, somebody who is into a particular kink or fetish and they're like, I kept it separate from my wife because I didn't know how she would react. I thought that she would think of me differently or she would make fun of me or think I was deviant or, and so it's not that people weren't engaging in the sexual activities. They just weren't doing it with their partners. And so I guess that left a stamp with me that, you know, we do need to be having conversations with our partners. We need to have, there needs to be a, you know, communication is everything when it comes to sexuality. No, you're right. I think part of it too with sex is that you're trying to do it because you're trying to keep your husband or your boyfriend or whoever your lover happy and you want to keep them enticed and you're like, okay, I got to keep them happy and I got to, you know, keep this exciting so that, you know, they stay with me or whatever. And then I feel like once you have a kid or you get married or something like that, then you feel like, okay, they're mine now. I, I can relax a little bit. I don't have to be this extra kinky person. And when you kind of shove the sex in the closet and you're like, nah, you know, I'll get to it later. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not a, I don't need to focus on that right now. It, it, it massively impacts your relationships, but also your identity too. I feel like sex is just something that we all need. And it's not to underplay how hard those conversations are. They, they can be really challenging. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, and a lot of women have been taught not even to know what their bodies look like, how they work, how they even, even to express what would be pleasurable for them, because they, maybe they haven't felt that, that space to have that self discovery and to learn about themselves. And, you know, I'm always very mindful that sex shouldn't be this this kind of guilted activity. It shouldn't be like, oh, I, I, you know, it shouldn't be another thing on the to-do list. But I think it is important to to prioritize intimacy and to prioritize connection. So that can look like different things. You know, it doesn't have to always be, you know, we think of sex as like penis and vagina. But there are, are so many different versions of of intimacy and sex that can be utilized in kind of that that process. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, if I, if I think if, if my, if my partner thought about sex with me as like a to-do list thing, I would be, I'd be pretty hurt. You know, I, I would want it to be something that they, they're wanting to do and they're wanting to experience with me. Yeah, that's true. I feel bad for the guys that listen to my sh- the earlier shows where we talk about sex and how it is sometimes, you know, like something that we have to do. Just another thing I've got to do after I put the kids to bed and clean the house. But yeah, it, it shouldn't be that way. It's 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 your partner. Got to work on it. If 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 it if it does feel like it's just another to do, then that's worth us kind of digging in and seeing why why that is. Exactly. I think that digging is a great expression. It's figuring out, okay, what's what's going on here? Am I just feeling like, am I feeling like I'm doing this all by myself? Is Am I feeling resentful? You know, I actually, I, I have a quiz that's on my, um, my website because, you know, I'm using my little anthropologist perspective here. I want to have, I want to understand what are the, the emotions? What are the feelings? What are the, the, the stressors and triggers? And there's a good percentage of moms that feel just resentful of their partners. They feel like they have taken on this unequal load of, 
of what it means to be a parent and to be an adult. Um, that someplace along the line what, where they thought there would be equality isn't really that in lived reality. Um, so I think there's there's so many of those different aspects of our relationship that then get interwoven into our sex lives. And, you know, one thing that you always see like magazine articles or kind of these things, how often should you be having sex? Like, does this mean your relationship is good or your relationship is bad? I think that those can be very dangerous. It's, it's not a number. It needs to be, how am I feeling about the sex that I'm having? Where you're having sex every day, but if you're hating the sex that you're having, you don't want to be having that kind of sex. You don't want to be having sex, you know, that, that's not a positive sex line. Um, and so I think put, we don't need to assign numbers, but we need to find a place that works for us, works for our partner, works for our partnership. Um, and addressing kind of those other things. And with motherhood, there's a lot, we, we have a lot on our shoulders. There's, you know, what I'm trying to connect in this, you know, kind of it, with my book and this project is mothers are, we have the, the kind of this mental load of that, that, you know, it's kind of, I describe it as kind of, it's like all of that little minutia that no one seems to care about, but it also feels like the whole world falls apart if those things don't happen. You know, you're not getting, you know, not, people aren't congratulating you that you remembered to pack school lunch that day. It's just kind of expected. It's not glamorous. And, you know, that to kind of decompress from all of that, and, and, you know, that's just kind of the household stuff. There's, you know, all of the different other efforts that we are using in, in different parts of our lives. And um, it's hard to be feel sexy when you're remembering to pack the school lunch and do this and do that. Yes, I agree. And I'm th- I was thinking, too, of like how how you're talking about like where it's like when women feel like they're doing it all, sex does feel like it's just another thing they have to do on top of packing the school lunches on top of caring for the children in the home. And then when your husband comes over to you and says, can I have a, Oh yeah, let, um, let's go upstairs or can I have a BJ? And you're thinking, fuck another fucking thing I have to do. And some of us, we might not think that, but then depending on the quality of your sex, you might be thinking I'm caring for everybody. I'm doing all these things. I'm not even going to get an orgasm out of it, <laughs> which really leads me to what you were saying earlier, where it doesn't matter how how often you're having sex. Is it quality sex? You know, sometimes people, you know, you're reading those magazines, like you said, where they say you've got to be doing sex this much or X, Y, Z. But I feel like if if you are having good connections with your partner, whether it's the penetrative sex, whether it's just, you know, laying next to each other naked or whatever, if you are bonding with them in that way and it's only once a week, that's okay. To me, it's quality over quantity. But I feel like one thing that has helped myself as well as some of my friends to kind of get out of that mindset of sex is just another thing I have to do is asking your partner for help. Because I feel like a lot of that comes from our frustration with having to do everything. And then to have to please your partner when there's a high chance that he might not please you in the right way, which secondly means you got to speak up if he's not getting you off or doing what you want to. I think that that's part of the reason why so many moms feel that, you know, sex is just another to do or that uh, there's just, I have to have sex five days a week because Cosmo says I have to do this or that. And I feel like 
what helps is ask your partner for help so that you don't feel like you're doing it all. I mean, yes, we're still going to be doing the majority of it, but asking your, your partner for help when you can and also telling your partner what you want and how you want it. I think that if, if your partner is pleasing you in the right way or how you want to be pleased, then you're not going to see the sex as a chore. It's going to be an even exchange. It's not you serving them. It's you guys are both serving each other. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, our, our sexual pleasure is no one's responsibility, but our own, you know, so we, you know, we can't put that on somebody else to that they'll know how to do this, even if they are a long-term partner, maybe it's even more so to kind of continuing to get to know one of each other and continuing to have, you know, new experiences together. And that doesn't mean you need to be, you know, that's going to mean different things for different people. Um, But it is, you know, that, that connectivity and being, and that vocalization and that, you know, making sure that it's working for both partners and all of the different ways that it needs to. Hallelujah. 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 I've learned so much from you today. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. Um, So Sarah, where can our listeners learn more about you and the Mama Sex Project? And when is that book coming out? Well, I feel like motherhood has been the biggest roadblock of that book coming out, um, motherhood and pandemics. Uh, but if you can follow along with what I'm creating at uh, mamasexbook.com um, and featuring wonderful interviews with people just like you. So I thank you so much for being a part of the Mama Sex Project. Um, but also on Instagram, uh, it's Mama Sex Book. And I think that's probably... I think that's probably the best platform to kind of see all of the different voices that I'm trying to to feature in this subject matter, because motherhood and sexuality are huge, huge topics um, because the diversity of experience. So, you know, some of the the things that I'm writing about are about um, pelvic health. And unfortunately, a lot of women have not been supported properly in just in their physiological self. They've had birth trauma. Um, they've had, you know, difficult um, birth and they've not gotten the medical support that they've needed afterwards um, to relationship and um, relationship connections and therapy. Uh, there's sex coaches, uh, relationship coaches. There's a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of wonderful practitioners out there that are trying to, give women the tools to empower their their own sense of femininity, um, whether it be understanding their menstrual cycle to understanding um, other different practices that could help them embrace uh, comfort in their bodies, but also kind of with the ideas of sex and sexuality. So there's, there's so many great voices in this field. And through my work, I'm trying to kind of pull them all together. Like, if we were to all be able to have a cocktail party in one room, that feels so foreign right now. But if we could all be together and just share all of these different, um, these vantage points of expertise that all intersect with motherhood and sexuality. I love it. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Sarah. You are so cool and keep doing what you're doing. And I can't wait to read that book. Oh, well, thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure to have this grown up chat with you tonight. Girl. 
Girl, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed talking with Sarah. I am so curious to hear your thoughts on the intersection of sexuality and motherhood. Do you think that all of a sudden you should be like freaking Miss Brady? Or do you think it is okay to fucking let your titties hang out sometimes and be a sexual person and flirtatious and possibly the woman that you were? If you were that way before becoming a mother or once you were a mom, did you kind of just, you know, tighten it up a bit? Let me know on Instagram at mom after hours. Send me a DM, share a story, tag me in it. I'm really, really interested in what other women have to say about this. But yes, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Happy freaking Mother's Day. And I just want you to know I fucking adore you.